0: The Lifestylist, episode 79, featuring Michelle Paradise. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. You are listening to part one of two with Michelle Paradise. Ladies and germs, what's poppin'? It's your old pal Luke Story. You can find out everything you need to know about me at a little website called lukestory.com. But more importantly, today's guest is none other than Michelle Paradise, an expert in NLP, hypnosis, and an alternative therapy called Havening, of which I am a massive fan and supporter. Michelle is also my part-time therapist, so she knows a lot about me. Things that I will never tell you. (laughs) Well, maybe. I don't know. I'm pretty forthright on this podcast. But anyway, I met Michelle a few months ago at my Kundalini Yoga class at Nine Treasures. Turns out she's had some very deep awakenings as a result of practicing Kundalini, as have I. So we talk about that in this episode. But more than anything, this show today is really about personal development, personal awakening, the spiritual path and how we can use different tools of communication to heal ourselves and our relationships. So some of the things we talk about in this episode are as follows, listen up, take notes, get ready. The rocky road of the spiritual seeker. Now it turns out the spiritual path is not all unicorns and rainbows, folks. There are many dark nights of the soul to experience if you really want to wake up. Then how her anorexia actually led to her own personal development and Working with other people as a therapist, the dangers of orthorexia, and how to treat eating disorders naturally. Then we really dig into the communication piece and the power of nonverbal communication. Check this out 55% of communication is physiological, 38% is tonality, while only 7% of communication lies in our words. Pretty interesting stuff. And that leads to the reason why texting is such a poor method of communication. Then we talk about the science of homeopathy and how she cured herself of being infertile. Really powerful stuff there. The power of hypnosis for overcoming personal blocks. She is a hypnotist and trust me, she can put your ass under and change things in your brain. It's really cool. Why she believes that no person is broken but only stuck. I really like that. I love the way that Michelle teaches us in this episode how to use language because language is so powerful. Then we get into her area of expertise, which is NLP or neuro-linguistic programming. So the history of NLP and how she became a master practitioner and uses it to help people enrich their communication. Why metaphor is so influential in human decision-making. Then we talk about the dark side of human persuasion in things like sales and seduction turns out a lot of these communication tools are powers that can be used for good or for evil, she of course recommends that you don't use them for the latter. What the words are that we should avoid if we want to communicate effectively, and why we should avoid words such as try, should, shouldn't, don't, some of those words that have negative energy and negative connotations can really stand in the way of our goals. The fact that asking how questions is so much more powerful than asking why questions. Then we talk about the fact that you can't change other people, but thankfully you can change how you respond to them, which in turn changes the way they respond to you. How relationships are the most powerful tool of spiritual growth. Amen, sister. That has definitely been the case in my life, especially recently. The power of the pause to de-escalate drama. Then we talk about Barack Obama's secret weapon for giving powerful speeches. You're going to be surprised when you find out what that is. How Michelle uses a groundbreaking technique known as havening to help her clients like me overcome past trauma and emotional blocks. And why childhood trauma in the first place really causes so many people to become neurotic and to become susceptible to addictions and just general wacky behavior. Check. Guilty is charged on that one as well and we talked briefly about M, or sorry EMDR therapy and how it works to reprogram your brain and finally one of my favorite topics of the interview the science of why hugging is so healing to humans. So this is a really powerful episode. I had to break it into two halves because it was so epic. It's like, I don't know, two and a half hours long or something. So half of it's coming out today on Tuesday. If you're in this on Friday, the other half is going to be on a Friday. If you're catching part two, go back and check part one because there's so much rich content in both halves of this interview. So thank you so much for listening. I also want to invite you to check in on Tuesday where I interview my friend Evan Brand who comes from a podcast that's wildly popular called Not Just Paleo, one of my favorite podcasts. I've learned tons from Evan. He drops amazing amounts of information in another double episode over two hours next week with Evan talking about functional medicine and how we can heal our own bodies and become our own doctors using food and herbs and supplementation. Really cool stuff. So thank you so much for listening and I really hope you enjoyed this interview with my friend Michelle Paradise. Our guest, Michelle, has made a gracious offer to you listeners in celebration for her appearance on the show. If you'd like to work with Michelle, go to changeyourmindforgood.com. Just give the name Luke or The Lifestylist, and you will save 20% off your first session with Michelle remotely or in person in Los Angeles. A massive part of my health strategy is the ingestion on a regular basis of medicinal herbs and medicinal mushrooms. And my primary source for those is a company called Four Sigmatic. If you remember way back in the day in episode eight, I had a guest by the name of Taro Isacapula from this company. And we talked all about the power of these amazing herbs and mushrooms. Well, Four Sigmatic do a great job of making them not only potent, but also convenient and delicious. So they make these little packets of herbs that you add to hot water, cold water, or bulletproof coffee, whatever your recipe is. I make them with all kinds of different stuff all the time. It makes a really easy way to get this stuff into your body. And these are herbs that have a real effect on you. It's very powerful stuff. So go to foursigmatic.com, but wait, I'm going to hook it up. When you get to Forsigmatic.com, enter the code THELIFESTYLIST at checkout to save 15% off your order. So you can get things like reishi mushrooms, chaga mushrooms, cordyceps, lion's mane, ashwagandha, all the good stuff that really works. So go to foursigmatic.com, enter the code THELIFESTYLIST and save 15% off your order. This show is brought to you by my friends over at Clearlight Saunas. And I want to give you the opportunity here to save a considerable amount of cash if you're interested in purchasing an infrared sauna. If you go to healwithheat.com and enter the code LUKE, you're going to save $450 as well as receive free shipping and a free ergonomic backrest to use in the sauna. So you can go to healwithheat.com. Use the code Luke or just give them a call. They're super cool people. It's a family-run business. You can call them at 800-317-5070. Now, why do I use an infrared sauna? Okay, let me just get into that. I use it for weight loss and increased metabolism. So basically, I'm losing weight, burning calories from just sitting on my ass in the sauna. This is, you know, scientifically verifiable, and I know it sounds too good to be true, but it's not. Uh, muscle pain relief, immune system boosting, massive detoxification improves the appearance of my skin, eases joint pain and stiffness, and it's just really good for stress and fatigue reduction. When you chill in an infrared sauna after about five minutes, what happens is you go into a parasympathetic nervous system state, which means you are cold chilling. So it's just really good for relaxation. Now, if you want to learn more about saunas in general, I'm going to suggest that you go back to my episode number 24 because the whole damn episode is about infrared saunas, okay? So again, if this is something you're looking into, I think they're the best in the market. They've got indoor and outdoor models starting at $24.95. They're very reasonable, really high quality. And again, if you use the code LUKE, you're going to save $450 off your purchase, free shipping and a free gift by going to healwithheat.com or giving them a ring at 800-317-5070. Michelle Paradise has been in the world of training for over 20 years. After a 20-year international modeling career, she started training models in walking, deportment, and interviewing skills for all the top agencies in London. During that time, she was on seven TV shows as an expert and judge, including Britain's Next Top Model, Make Me a Supermodel, the BBC Clothes Show, and many more. During this time, Michelle also became an international speaker and presented workshops all over the world on topics such as personal growth and presentation skills using her vast training training in Neuro Linguistic Programming, NLP, with a mix of her own methodologies. She trained with the co-creator of NLP, Dr. Richard Bandler, and became his training assistant for the past 10 years. Michelle has run presentation skills workshops and has trained politicians, celebrities, and businessmen and women on her courses. She's also presented workshops on personal change for magazines such as Cosmopolitan, Good Housekeeping, Prima, and Brides Magazine. For the past five years, Michelle's been doing pro bono work for charities that specialized in disenfranchised youth who were struggling to get into the workforce, teaching them interviewing skills. Although Michelle now lives in LA, where she works as a wellness expert with Deepak Chopra, she continues to travel the world presenting to small and large audiences on presentation skills, stress and anxiety management, and personal growth and change. She's currently writing a book on stress and anxiety management with Deepak Chopra writing the forward. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome you, Michelle Paradise, to the Lifestylist Podcast. Thank you, Luke Story.
1: I am delighted to be here.
0: It's great, isn't it?
1: I feel like I'm definitely in Hollywood now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we have a whole... For those of you listening to the podcast, um, we have a whole situation going. Um, Some of you are probably aware that I do Instagram Live and Facebook Live and also record these on video now for YouTube. So there's like four or five devices and lighting and we were each wearing two microphones. It's a very high-tech thing, but I just figure I want to get this stuff out to as many people as possible. When I get someone like you in my presence that has such a wealth of experience and knowledge, I want to get that out into the world by every channel and means necessary.
1: Thank you for that. I'm very grateful. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's like it's spreading the the good word. It's the
0: purpose of doing this stuff because I've discovered so many things over the years that have helped me. I've shared them with other people and it helps them. So it's like, I don't know, maybe someone won't tune into the podcast, but they will on YouTube. You just never know how you're going to reach someone. I agree. So here we are. Um, Haven't seen you since, uh, what, a couple weeks ago I ran into you in Kundalini Yoga. That's correct. Is which, that
1: right next to me? Yeah, yeah. Kismet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, totally. It's it's funny because on this show, for whatever reason, I end up mentioning Kundalini Yoga because it's just it's become a thread of so many people's lives. Oh. It's and so it on that. My life. On that note, tell me about your experience with that practice of yoga, which wasn't even one of my questions, but since okay. we're on it.
1: It's a very lovely story. I think I moved from London about a year ago, and uh, there's a group called Brits in LA. You
0: brought your accent with you.
1: It's a fun. It's a hybrid. I'm like a (laughs) Prius. That's what I said. Well, it's funny because when I (laughs) met you, I was
0: like, I think she's. You know, it's definitely not South African. It's not New Zealand. It's not Australia. But I'm like, it's not super strong British. So now I know why. Well, I'm American. I right. uh,
1: grew up on the East Coast But we'll get to that later Yes, yes So anyway I went to this group breakfast Called Brits in LA And this man was at my table And he started talking about Nine Treasures Yoga And I was looking for yoga And I'd never done Kundalini And I thought Well, I'll give it a go So I went And um, I'll be very honest Because I think that's what this is all about
0: Oh yeah, you can keep it hella real I'll
1: keep it very real yeah. I cried for three months The first three months of doing it At the end of each session There's that song that we sing Yeah Yeah <laughs> That one will get you. Yeah, and I had no issue with that because I see tears as detox. And what it said to me is, there's a lot of stuff you need to detox. So I went with it. I rolled with it. And then I had several kundalini experiences, feeling the light and feeling um, very centered and all of that. So I followed it, and I've been doing it now for as long as I've been here, which is about 15 months I've been here. And I've met some extraordinary people, Uh Tage especially, who was who our leader. She was leader. a
0: guest. Uh, yeah, our teacher, she's referring to you guys, was a guest on episode 12, way back on 12. I think we're in the 60s now for this one, so it was a while yeah. ago. But okay. you know what's funny about Tage because I love her, and I encourage anyone that's interested in that practice of yoga to go listen to that episode, because she just, she came over here too. Right. It's so weird, because I've been studying with her for five years, and then she's in my little office recording studio with her turban, and you know, it's just, it was a trip. It was really fun. But um. I find it interesting when someone goes early on and they have this whole experience and they don't get freaked out. Like it's a testament to how open your mind is. Because if you walk into kundalini yoga uh, at the outset, if you're not really someone that's been around a lot of spiritual seekers and stuff, it can be a bit off-putting because everyone's wearing all these white clothes and the turbans and the music. And I've taken people there and they're like,
1: yeah, not really my thing. Some, it lands well with them and some never want to come back.
0: Yeah. So it's cool when somebody, like I took Tony Wright and our mutual friend there. And and at the end of the class, I was kind of like nervously biting my nails like, was it okay? And he was like, oh my God, mate, this is the best thing ever. You know, I was like... He would love it. Yeah. I mean, he was was all in. It's like, oh, that's cool. So what do you think the tears were about? And when you say you've had Kundalini experiences, what do you mean by that?
1: Well, I just went through a really major life change. I which I think we're going to get to later, but just very briefly, I, I'm American and lived in London for 35 years. I'm only 36, by the way, so it's amazing, but no. <laughs> I lived there for 35 years, and I made a decision a couple years ago to change my life, and I've gone on a spiritual path, so I sold my life, basically, and came here with two suitcases. Oh my God, and, that um, sounds
0: so fun.
1: <laughs> and two kids, but they, they weren't with me at the time. And... Uh, I decided to go on this spiritual quest and just to embrace everything as open-mindedly as I possibly could. And there's a, I'm going to paraphrase here, there's a bit towards the end of Eat, Pray, and Love by Elizabeth Gilbert, and I think she calls it the quantum quest, and it's loosely paraphrasing it, it's when you choose to do something and leave something behind, please go with a completely open mind, heart, soul, eyes, everything. And that's what I've done. And... That's why when this man just mentioned kundalini yoga, I said, I like the sound of that. I'm going to, s- I say yes to everything now.
0: Yeah. So I was said that? yes. Wasn't there like that Jim Carrey movie that was like the yes man yes, or something? Yeah, He's definitely. got this like kind of lame, boring life and somehow he just starts going yes, 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 yes to everything. I totally adhere to that too. And Unless I just, it's immoral, unethical, yeah. oh, yeah. illegal, you <laughs> yes. know, pretty much. I do anything. have my boundaries. I mean, it's like people email me sometimes, will you be on my podcast? Mm. This, you know, it's about this, this, and this. I don't even read them. I'm just like, you want your hear podcast? Yes, let's talk. You know, yeah. it's like.
1: There's always something to be gained from it. And it's not about gain, but it's always something have to learn. And yeah. I have this belief that people are mirrors or teachers, and frequently they're both. So I'm going to learn something from it. Hopefully, I can impart some knowledge or information to them. So this is my quest now, to embrace everything. And the tears were probably things that I needed to let go of in that transition period. Because that's a big transition, you know, to live in a place for a long time and really lay down roots. And then, I, I'm from the East Coast, by the way. So the West Coast, this is like a double culture shock Yeah, totally. Me. You know, leaving that. Europe and then coming to the West Coast. Yeah. But when I do things, I do them big. <laughs> it's go, go big or go home. So, I wanted to really embrace change. And it's, uh, it's been challenging. Um, there have been f- rhythms I need to get used to that I'm not used to.
0: Like driving a car?
1: <laughs> like driving a car. Gosh.
0: <laughs> have you had any uh, accidents yet?
1: Not yet. Let's not tempt okay, fate. Good. Okay. okay, good. Okay,
0: good. And it's also
1: the rhythm of the way people follow through here. Uh, it's quite different. You mean like not? Like not follow through. <laughs> I, you can say
0: these things and I'll just oh, agree man. with you. Okay? No, it's funny because I, I, I have a friend moving here from New York and she's like, mm. I don't know. I've heard everyone in LA is flaky. I'm like, no, they're not. I'm like being defensive. But in reality, I think it's like part of the culture here. You yeah, don't, you it don't have to be that on your game and you can still have a pretty good life here. That's so true. And the sunny weather—like, who wants to work and return phone calls and be accountable when you could be at Venice Beach just chilling, like doing medicinal marijuana or whatever? You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like the light—like if you're in London or New York, like you can't fuck around. No. People will not waste their time on you if you're late, if you don't show up, if you make plans and you don't stick to those plans. Like you just get chewed up and spit out I think more so than here.
1: I couldn't have put it better myself.
0: I just had a situation this morning where I was set to meet with another business I have called School of Style. I don't remember if I mentioned that. It's a fashion thing and we had this big meeting about doing some video production and stuff like that today and it was like the people just totally didn't show up and we're sitting there for 20 minutes like hmm I wonder if they got anything wrong with the address. I'm like nope I checked my iCalendar you know my iCal invite had the address in there yeah. whatever people are human and stuff like that but 45 minutes of a lot of people's lives are basically wasted because i don't know people weren't like i'm just not used it. to it
1: and i'm i'm adapting because i chose to come here so yeah.
0: well here's the good news you can like also maybe adopt a bit of a um a lax attitude yourself <laughs> you do, use i'm it doing my an, best with it use it as an exercise and <laughs> like learning to let go and like not be so rigid yourself you know Not a problem that I have. No, that's
1: definitely happening. That is definitely happening. And this is the best place to have a laptop lifestyle, which is what I wanted. I want to engage with my customers and my people through the internet. Yeah. And I also see people privately and for one-to-one sessions. But now we can do sessions on Skype so easily. And that's ultimately what I want. I want to be able to work with anybody, anywhere, at any time. And then do what I want to do. Yeah. And LA is perfect for that.
0: Awesome. Well, welcome. Thank you. Welcome to the tradition of Kundalini Yoga. Sorry about the tears. I've experienced... Oh, it was great. ...many of them as well. Sometimes tears of joy. Mm
1: -hmm. Yes. You know, like you...
0: Do some breathing exercises and there's a beautiful mantra. You sing along to the words you don't understand and you can't pronounce. And then you do like, you lie down, they start hitting that freaking gong and it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, here comes the waterworks. But not out of sadness, just, I don't know, it's like a release or a It's an a awakening
1: healing. for me. Yeah, yeah, it's an enlightenment and awakening, a feeling of I'm connected to something I didn't know was out there. That's been my experience, and that's what I meant earlier when I said, "I just I felt this sort of incredible light inside of me and this clarity, which is one of my favorite words. I'm always looking for clarity. That's sort of one of my missions."
0: Yeah, yeah. So me that for me
1: was it. Really gave me that opportunity. Aside from
0: it. having those couple instances where you've had some tears and that kind of awakening, have you had, um, have you had things in your Day to day life that came about that were challenging as a result of kind of bringing all this stuff up in Kundalini and just your yoga practice and just spiritual pursuit?
1: A great question. And you have lots of great questions, I know. I would say, probably, what we've already discussed is the learning the balance of accepting and calming down and coming from a very different type of timeline. To this type of timeline, I <laughs> been very diplomatic here.
0: Is the timeline? timeline, when there <laughs> is <a> timeline? Yes.
1: <laughs> and learning how to adapt to that, and I am, I am. It, it's you know, there's still that resistance sometimes, and that pushing through. But I, w- you know, in Kundalini Yoga, I we have lots of opportunities to set intentions, and that's one of my big intentions
0: that would, I set. Would you say that? Now that you're on a a true spiritual path and you're committed, would you say that it's um, that it's a bumpy road at times? Where very much. I think a lot of people get into meditation and yoga because it looks so peaceful. You know, there's you have a Buddha statue in your little room and you have some pillows and you light incense and candles and you OM and you're just going to be super chill. And what I've found subjectively after 20 years of like pursuing anything and everything of the spiritual nature that i can come across that has some sense of legitimacy is that the the more i uh, the more i apply myself to these practices the more rocky and like pain in the ass my life becomes in so many ways because it okay? brings up the shadows man it does you know it's it like does. there's the bliss there's the joy there's the peace the serenity all of that's there but it's punctuated for me by like heavy dips man where mm-hmm. it's like really, are you serious? I've been doing this shit 20 years and I'm still finding out that there's this dark side of myself that needs to be, what is that word, exercised? Mm-hmm. You know? Yep, it's definitely. Like, God, am I not past jealousy or anger or whatever? I've been working on that shit so long. Mm-hmm. it even They'll even go away for a while and I'm like, ah, yes, I'm finally reaching Buddhahood and then like, boom, you enter into a new relationship or a work scenario or you have to wait for people that are late and all yep. of a sudden, you see this sort of like dark self, or not dark, like, good-bad duality, you know, good versus evil, but just, like, I don't know, shit that's blocking me from having a Mm. true spiritual experience, so.
1: Amen. And uh, I'm going to use a cliche here, or uh, an overused phrase, it is a practice, not a destination. Ah,
0: that's good. that's that's... a tweetable. Wish I had my (laughs) phones on Instagram Live, otherwise I would tweet that shit right now.
1: Okay, I'll remind you later. But it is, I mean, I think we forget that all of these things are practice. You don't ever really and not in a negative way, but you never really arrive because it's a movable feast. Yeah. Because somebody suddenly comes into your life and they then put the mirror up to you and you see something about yourself that you thought you had exercised. And there's maybe a little bit of it left that you didn't realize that was there. And then you need to practice. So the meditation and the, the yoga and whatever else you bring into your life to help you get through that. It's, it is a continual journey.
0: Yeah, I know that's the bitch. I guess that's the whole purpose of being a human, though, isn't it? It's like, yep, we come here to find, I for lack of a better term, to find ourselves and to find God, you know to get to sort of realign with whatever it is that created us. and that that on the outside looking in, like sounds really beautiful. <laughs> but once you endeavor to do that, then all of the things that are blocking you from having that experience show up. And that's what and that's what I've you know, I volunteered for and what you volunteered for is like, okay, I'm in. I'm I'm ready to surrender, finally, because doing it for me at least, I'm like speaking for you. For me, it's like I find that running life on my own intellect and my own will and my own just kind of innate desires and instincts is not a recipe for success no. in any way. So it's like out of desperation I finally go, All right, I'm willing to like follow the wisdom of the ages, you know, and follow some of these traditions and paths and practices. But ultimately, like, they're going to bring up the bad stuff in order to get rid of it.
1: And we're going to touch on NLP, I know, but this is kind of an appropriate moment. The man who trained me, Dr. Richard Bandler, who's one of the co-creators and the godfather of NLP, he had this great expression. He said, there's no such thing as failure. It's feedback. And it really does reframe a lot of the shit that goes down in life. Because you think, I failed, you know. I failed at that. I didn't you know I didn't do that well enough. I, I could have done it better. And what I've learned is that we do the best we can with the knowledge and the information that we have at that moment. And of course it's very easy to uh, I just got off a Skype call with a client and he said 3 years ago I shouldn't have bought that car and I shouldn't have put myself into debt and I should and I said stop. You didn't know. You, then when you were 23 years old you didn't know. You had that amount of knowledge and information at that time. And that is what you based your decisions on. And we need to step away from that and stop beating ourselves up. And I always say, stop shooting all over yourself. <laughs>
0: yeah, I like that. I like <laughs> yeah. that. I've heard that. That's a good one. I, You know, it's funny. Those are those language tweaks that mm. are really important to work with. I yeah. mean, I find myself to be very Overly self-critical and self-deprecating mm-hmm. a lot. Like I really, I, I've always said, like if I treated my friends like I treat myself, I'd have no friends. You know, I really good point treat myself like shit a lot of the time. Yeah. I was on the phone today with a friend, and he was like, I was like, well, I I found that I'm doing this and I'm doing that in this relationship, and I really want to work on that because it's fucked up or whatever. I was saying, he's like, dude, you just described being human. Like, give yourself a break. Yeah. Of course, you're being challenged by these circumstances. Like who do you think you are, Superman? Like, Mm -hmm. any person in your situation would be facing these same challenges, you know? So, I have to really watch my language when I say things like, oh, I should have done this, or, you know. Yeah, should is a really bad word. Yeah, it's very shaming. It is. Is that why, what is it about that?
1: It's also very didactic and authoritarian, and uh, people usually respond to it with resistance. You know, because like a teacher going, you should do that, Johnny. You should have done your homework, and... It it just doesn't have the best connotations in our society. Right. So it's a it's a very demotivational word. And when I work with clients, I do this like this little sort of thought exercise. Let's find your motivational word. And it's very interesting what comes up. Some people are motivated by should, they're quite low on the spectrum of motivation. Uh, people tend to like things like, I will go to work on Monday instead of I should go to work on Monday. So we find right, what right. their sort of modal operator is that right, gets or them. Right,
0: saying, I, I'll find myself saying, oh, I have to go to work today, I've got to go to work today. Yeah. And I'll, I'll be conscious of that language and then say like, I get to go to work today. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just changing Think of, like, one word. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially like, I don't, I, again, I was talking to a friend today and I was, expressing him how sometimes I catch myself bitching about how did I have to do my job because yeah. I own this company. I'm like, oh, man, now I have to do this and I have to do that. And it's like, wait, wait a minute. How fortunate am I to even be in a position to do what I'm doing and make a living from it? Yeah. You know, it's exactly. like, anyway, has there been a situation in your life that at the time you perceived as failure... And then later on, we're able to sort of zoom out and look back and see that there was inherent value in that lesson. Like, what's a big one that you've...
1: Frequently. Gosh, there are many. I guess when I was an anorexic,
0: yeah. Ooh, you went right to the big one. Yeah, why not? Because in my mind, I went to my big one too. So yeah. what? what's that look like? Well,
1: we're here to share, right? Yeah. And to help people hopefully have a shift in some way. Uh, yeah, it was... Um, looking back now what it informed me is how important other people's opinions were of me and at the same time how unimportant other people's opinions were of me and a lot of these things that happen to us in life happen in a split second and this is what people don't understand a lot of the time they think you know we're born with these personalities or these behaviors and we're not we're born with very little but in a split second somebody can change your life by something they say so The scenario is I was in Rome, and I was uh, going to castings for Altamoda, which is the equivalent to uh, Haute Couture, and I walked in, and I'm very tall, I'm almost six feet tall, so I'm never really going to be like super, super skinny or, or, you know, small framed, and the woman whipped out the, the tape measure and started doing my measurements, and she said, your hips are too big, and that was it. That was it. I really wanted to have the opportunity to do these shows. I had done shows already, but you know how you keep setting the bar higher and higher? So this, for me, was a really high bar, and uh, so I stopped eating, which the real feedback is never get anorexia in Italy. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Because right? the food is amazing. <laughs> also, like,
0: heads up, and not to make light of something so tragic, but heads up, like, not eating isn't going to make your bones shift. Exactly. So I you learned know, a lot from yeah. it. So I
1: stopped eating. I stopped yeah. eating. At the time, I smoked, and I drank coffee and smoked and basically that, drank that, that, mineral help. water, and it was a really quick way to become anorexic. And what I learned about anorexia, which has helped me work with eating disorders now, is that... Um, it's all about power and control. It's it's when you feel that everything, practically everything in your life, is out of control. But this is the one thing that you still have control over.
0: Oh, so good. what you put in your mouth. You just described my supplementation regimen. Because <laughs> like, I think at times I've teetered on orthorexia. Mm-hmm. Where it's like everything has to be organic and no gluten yep. and this and that. And it's like I don't. it's it's it's, it's, it's tricky because it's like. There are consequences if I get too off track with what I eat. But there are also consequences from having such a rigid, controlling, freaky, neurotic way of life where it's like I'm using all of that stuff almost as a distraction from just being a normal human and just living, you know? Yeah,
1: and that's it. Those are sort of the, end, the different yeah. ends of the, spectrums, yeah. of the spectrum. And, and that's what I did. I went so far that I was berating myself and beating myself up constantly for being too big and I wasn't too big I was just You're still a like, tall person I wouldn't
0: consider you a very thin person like Well at then I was too. like
1: super super thin uh, I guess it would be considered to be almost a zero in today's terms we didn't have right. those terms when I was a model I was a model right. from 1980 to 2000 so it was quite wow. a different time Wow um but I that woman just it, it wasn't her fault she just unzipped something for me that was obviously there that my life was pretty much out
0: of control right
1: and this is the one thing I could really hang on do to. do
0: you think because I've I've talked to um, our mutual associate and friend Neil Strauss about this because he's right. just you know he's so and I'm interviewing him on Monday actually oh, right yeah I'm really excited right. yeah it's I it's like it's so funny because he's like the out of all my guests, he's the only one I'm actually friends with. Mm-hmm. And he's the only one that said no when I started my podcast. <laughs> he was like, dude, I just put out a book. I just did 20 podcasts. I'm not doing it. Give me a year. And it's been about a year. Anyway, um, but he has always talked to me about all my health stuff and kind of busted my balls. Like, Luke, you realize that's all about control issues from your childhood and stuff. And I've, I've tried to make the connection to well, where does, you know, what is the root of that? It might help me to understand it and able to maybe overcome it uh, a bit easier. And I think in my home life when I was a kid, things were very out of control in my environment. And I I became sort of hyper vigilant, and someone was going to break something or hit someone or freak out. Or I didn't know if my parents were going to show up to pick me up sometimes and just all that kind of stuff. But I still don't have a strong visceral connection to like, aha, I see the 10 ways in which I had no control or no voice when I was a kid, so now I'm exerting that control in these areas. Are you able to pinpoint in your life like what was beyond your control as a child and where that need to exert control later in life came to become uh, pathological?
1: Well, I guess very generally, it would have had something to do with the fact that my father was... He's no longer with us. And even if he was, I would say this. But my father, uh, who I love dearly, was a very big and powerful man physically and had a big voice. And uh, everything that went with that, you know, it was his way or the highway. And he was very protective of the females in his family, but didn't give us a lot of independence. And uh, I remember the thing that really stuck out for me is I was eligible for a scholarship to go to university in America, and he needed to fill in some financial declaration forms. And he wasn't hiding anything, but he felt that the government mustn't know, you know, I don't want them to know all of my business, which we know that they probably did anyway. Um, But that was his mindset and his belief. And it stopped me from progressing in the way that I wanted to progress in life. And he said to me something like, and again, like a split second, he said, you're a woman, you don't need this. You just need to learn how to cook and clean <laughs> oh, and get married and have children. And he didn't mean it rudely. It, right. it was, that was his that world. That was his paradigm, yeah. yeah. And my mother was a stay-at-home it mother. It's just funny
0: when you think about things now that seem yeah. so archaic, but it during that time was actually a normal caring response probably for Absolutely. a father to have. you know. And he
1: wanted me to be looked after by a man, to get married and to be looked after and to have children and be happy. And that was his idea of happiness. However, what he didn't realize is of my two parents, he was the one that I modeled. He traveled. He was very, uh, you know... Easygoing and very popular around people, and very comfortable in his own skin. My mother was quite different. So, of the two parents, I modeled him and wanted his life, not her life.
0: Right? You didn't want the so stay-at-home. It was home such mama. a disconnect. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That's funny.
1: Yeah, and I at the time I wasn't able to verbalize that because I I was still processing this information. The good news is I did eventually go to university.
0: So, do you think your dad being so domineering and you know in his own way controlling that that sort of impinged on your own uh, autonomy and control. And so you were stifled. And then Absolutely. later in life, that manifested as you controlling weird behaviors like when you Absolutely. eat and what you eat and stuff.
1: Yeah. And what's interesting is I've worked with a lot of clients that, especially females that, that are anorexic. And I remember this one in particular, and this this will probably unpack it a little bit more, a bit more clearly, is she... They, very frequently the parent reaches out to me first and says, I have a daughter or I have a son and I would really like you to help them. So I get to listen to them first and I'm paying a lot of attention to their language patterns and the things they're saying to me. Anyway, this particular situation, she was 18 years old and she was at Oxford University, which is a big deal. And the father said to me on the phone, I don't know what's wrong, but you know, she, she does really well and then when it gets to like the exam part... She begins to fall apart, and her eating behavior changes, and she loses a lot of weight, and then has to be hospitalized. What was underlying all of this was he was actually the person that wanted to go to Oxford University, and he didn't get in so
0: wow classic, and this happens classic, a lot yeah, yeah, the parent lives yeah.
1: vicariously yeah. through the child
0: transfer and the yeah.
1: pressure that they put on this child so what she did very simply is when things were spinning out of control, she stopped eating because that, again, was the one thing that she could control. No one could make her eat unless they hospitalized her and put an IV drip in and things like that. And even that, you know, people can have some control over. So it's frequently very clear what has gone on. And what I've learned about working with eating disorders is I prefer to see the parents first because that is usually where the pattern has begun And it's not because parents are bad parents. It's they're doing the best they know with the knowledge and the information they have at that moment in time. And sometimes it's a big disconnect for the kid because they feel, you know, even with my father, I wanted to please my father. I wanted to show him that I wasn't going to be a stay-at-home mother with two kids in tow. Nothing wrong with that, but that wasn't my journey at that time. But I would still be successful in whatever I chose to do. It took a long time we eventually got there and he did acknowledge my success and whatever um but i don't think he was ever you know very comfortable with my choice because it was it was out of his comfort zone
0: yeah maybe he had his own inner controlling demons too he He had designs on like what every other person was supposed to be doing Let's take a brief intermission to tell you about the upcoming launch of my brand new 90-day lifestyle design coaching program, where you can have the opportunity to work one-on-one with me. Just go to lukestory.com forward slash coaching to apply for a free 15-minute assessment call. We're going to have a quick chat to discover what your blocks are and find out how we can move you through them. Using my 20 years of experience in the fields of health and personal development, I'm gonna guide you through my system of revolutionary mental, physical, and emotional transformation. This program is fully immersive. It's a deep dive into my nature-based philosophy of personal optimization. So based on your personal needs, we're gonna work together to map out a blueprint for creating the happy and healthy lifestyle that you deserve as well as a very practical approach to spirituality that you can actually carry into your relationships, your career, and your future. Here's the deal, though. Space for this program is very limited. I'm not even joking. I can only take on five clients per month, period. So go to lukestory.com forward slash coaching to apply for your free 15-minute consultation with me. And now, back to the interview.
1: But the interesting thing is and I, I and I'm very proud of this. So I just want to bring it in. It was also the juxtaposition that my grandmother, my maternal grandmother was a founding member of the League of Women Voters in Maryland wow. and a suffragette. So there was this very there was this very powerful lineage of strong women, you know, and I was modeling that as well. Right. So I, it was this juxtaposition of a, you know, a uh, father telling me to follow this route and my grandmother showing me.
0: Yeah, he had no chance. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Especially because like, you're looking at him. Like, It's one of those things. Like, I used to have a stepdad that smoked a lot of weed. Or not a stepdad, a uh, mom's boyfriend. And he'd be sitting there smoking weed all day and he, and I'd look at him and he could probably see me that I wanted some. And he, he'd always say to me, do as I say, not as I do. God, my father said that <laughs> he so did, many times. I thought this stoner like made that one up. I was, I'm no, no, gonna, no. I take I've... away his credit, but I, even as a kid, I was like, "That's bullshit." Like, I'm, I I want to do what you're doing. I watch yeah. Cheech and Chong movies, and it looks like you're living the dream. I'd like to partake. in now,
1: well, I don't know if you know this, because I love this this little bit of information. There's a he's still alive. His name is Professor Albert Morabian, and he did in the '70s. He did this study on what is the the richness of the communication, What is what really is how we communicate, how do we communicate with each other. So he did this pie chart, and he did um, 55% of our communication is physiological. So some people may call it body language, but I tend to prefer nonverbal communication. So it's the way we look, how we sit, how we breathe, how quickly we speak, and things like that. Thirty-eight uh, percent of communication is tonality, so you know you can say, "Could you get me a cup of tea, please?" or "Get me a cup of tea, please." So it's a very different way of communicating. But only seven percent are our words. So
0: that's insane. It's, it is. So ninety-three percent
1: of our of our communication is is physiological and tonality. So going back to the father thing, do as I say, not as I do only 7% of what that person is communicating to us are their words so of course as a child we are modeling their behavior and it's it, you really see it a lot when parents smoke just like cigarettes and they say and their kids want to smoke and they go don't ever smoke this is really bad for your health right yeah and it's such a disconnect for the person that that's was my case that. i did
0: every single thing that their grown ups did because Being a grown-up is way cooler than being a kid. Like, who wants to be a dorky kid when you could be, like, smoking cigarettes like a grown-up, for Christ's sake. Yeah,
1: and only 7% (laughs) of what you're doing is is landing with me, or what you're saying is landing with me. Isn't
0: that so true in relationships, too, where you're, like, in a romantic relationship, and you proclaim to be this upstanding, unselfish, giving, loving partner, and then your behavior is, perhaps at times, if not a majority of the time, contrary?
1: I think we and call you, it mixed messages, <laughs> <yeah>. don't we?
0: <laughs> and then you're, 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 you're not understanding why your partner is like, God, why are you dissatisfied in this relationship? I'm so awesome. Well, the things that I say are awesome, but how am I actually behaving in a day-to-day basis?
1: Uh, yeah, and what a great example, because those three little words catch people out a lot. I love you. Some people can say it repeatedly, but they don't act as if they love you. They yeah. just say that they love you. Yeah. And it really is about the whole package, you know? And now we know that 93% of communication is what you say, you know, not what you say, how you say it, and how you show it to someone else. That's I think awesome. That's I think this is why text messaging is so bad for our health.
0: Oh, my God. There's no
1: tonality, oh my and there's God. no physiology. It's just flat words, and yes. they can be so misinterpreted so
0: easily. You just described the past seven months of my life in a <laughs> largely long-distance relationship. Yes. There you
1: go. It's what? It's emailing and text messages. It's yeah.
0: It's fucking insane. What did you mean by that? Oh my God, I didn't mean anything by that. I just said, hello, how are you? There you, you go. Know? It's like, yeah, but you said, hello, how are you in such and such way. I'm like, no, I didn't. It's the texting. Because they are yeah. representing and, you know, and it like, to their I'm, tonality. I'm probably more than half the time the one that's like thinking, what did they mean by that? Like, that yeah. sounded weird. I mean, it gives the mind too much room to go crazy
1: and a comma can change everything can it
0: oh god in the wrong
1: place at the wrong time it can just change everything it's
0: crazy I mean I think like actually if we could communicate via text using only emojis right that would which be better which is like better. the body language of texting <laughs> That's true. that probably would like be more effective <laughs> I think
1: some people do that already
0: yeah, it's also like shorthand and you can be lazier. Okay, so that was like a great detour, like it was, totally and I apart from every minute. from anything that I had planned on talking about, which is the the best thing about having your own podcast is you can do whatever the hell you want. As yeah. long as you're like vibing with the guest. But there was some really good stuff in there already. Um, you mentioned a couple great resources. I want to remind people listening if you go to lukestory.com you're going to find a little uh, box on the homepage that says Join the Tribe. Put your email and name in there, and I will send you the show notes from every episode with all of our guests, oh, that's Wonderful, including Michelle today. So anything we talk about, a book, a website, your work, anything useful, I have uh, a producer that meticulously finds the links to every single thing we discuss and puts them in the show notes, but you have to get on the newsletter to get that. Right. Okay, so I'm going to refer to my notes, which is funny because I always make questions for episodes and then... Most of the time I don't even look at them, but if I don't, and then I skip one of my important questions, I get pissed at myself, and then I should myself. I'm like, Luke, you should have looked at your notes. See, there you go. Okay, so it's a perfect segue, actually, though, because you started touching on how you sort of hit bottom and hit a wall with your modeling career and then developing anorexia. So as you started to recover from that, what were some of the things that you explored that worked? to get you to where you are today, which seems like a pretty healthy, integrated human being. Uh, And what were some of the things that maybe you chased that ended up being duds? You know, like... Okay. Maybe you tried a certain therapy or read this book and you you had high hopes for it and it ended up kind of being bullshit, or at least for you. What were some of the wins and some of the disappointments along the way?
1: Well, I was... Dating a guy at the time that lived in London, and I was in Italy. Came back.
0: Oh, you've done the long distance thing, huh?
1: Yeah. Oh, too many times. (laughs) But we didn't have texting then, so it was quite different. And I came back, and he took a Polaroid of me, because in those days, that was like a really cool camera to have, and showed me what I look like. I couldn't see it. I honestly, I could see a thin person there, but I really couldn't see what the rest of the world saw, or the people that loved me saw. And this because is a very common saw, theme. you
0: saw a young woman with hips that are too big. Yeah, exactly. Right.
1: So, um, I, because I was in London, so I was based in London, and I used to do the collections and travel around, I heard a lot about homeopathy, which I was fascinated by. And I'm not going to go into too much detail about homeopathy. Okay. But um, it is loosely, and I'm really loosely describing it, it is taking... Um, Uh, a plant, let us say, and diluting it and diluting it and diluting it. And what they believe is the more dilutions, the stronger it becomes. And you can take it as a tincture or a pill with sort of a sugar pill. So I got this book called the Materia Medicus, which is sort of the Bible of homeopathy. And I started, what you do is you sort of look up the symptoms or what you are experiencing. I wouldn't call them symptoms. And then it refers you back to
0: this, like,
1: uh, Arnica or whatever whatever that thing might be
0: for you. That's the one I've, I, that's, that's the, the one, one, everybody one knows. I've ever done. So yeah, I'm going to yeah. use that one
1: Yeah. because uh, that's the easiest one. So I started getting a vision of what I needed. And then, again, that one person says that one thing to you, and they said to me uh, in my travels, they said, you know, if you carry on like this, you'll never be able to conceive a child. Because what happens is... Certainly what happened to me, I became prepubescent. So I stopped menstruating and you become a child again.
0: Is that because you're not getting the fats and precursors exactly. to hormones?
1: You, you're, you're so not, you don't, don't have the fat like, laying down around right. your womb anymore and your uterus. So you,
0: wow. you
1: become prepubescent. That is
0: weird. I didn't yeah. know that. Didn't you? Oh, that's mean, it makes sense. If, you're, really not give, if you're not giving it. your hormones the building blocks... Cholesterol and all yep. that, then what are you gonna make hormones out of? Air? It
1: wreaks havoc with your body. Uh, and there's uh, lots of uh,
0: heart that's and horrible. teeth and it's like that's like one manifestation of neurosis that I've never experienced. <laughs> At least that I'm that's aware good. of. <laughs> like just about any other problem I've had it. That's mm. not one. So okay, carry on. So
1: what happened was I'm I'm a what is called a polarity responder. So if you tell me I can have something, I want it even more. Uh, Or don't take that away from me. So that really woke me up, and I thought, I don't really have children on my timeline at the moment. It's not something I was really moving towards, because I had this career that I was in and and wanted to do more. But you can't tell me I can't have children. So I'm going to sort this out.
0: That's awesome, because I don't think most women, whether that's in their like five-year plan or whatever, no woman wants to be told they're barren, and it's yeah. just going to be like, oh, great, no birth control. This is awesome.
1: Yeah, and I was in my early so 20s. What a, it's
0: one of those things. What a blessing, right? Yeah. Like a weird sort of twisted universal blessing that woke you up. Okay, cool. So, I, d-
1: I've, I did homeopathy for a while. I did a lot of things. I read a lot of books. I read a lot of books on... Um, uh, dieting and how it doesn't work. So I learned a lot about how diets don't work. Because are there
0: a couple books you discovered along the path about food practices or spirituality or personal development that stuck with you that you might shout out?
1: Can I get back to you on that one? Sure. Because I'm just, right now, I, I've, I've gone blank on that, but That's I'm sure on. there are. Um, and then, uh, sort of fast-forwarding, I started to come out of it. I started to eat more. And, of course, it was here the anorexia was here. It was psychological. She's pointing to my yeah, yeah. to her Sorry, mind. Sorry, to, yes. to my brain. That's yeah. where it lived. It wasn't living in my body. It was my belief. And my beliefs were very limited that if I did that, I would like blow up overnight, get really huge and never work again. And then I began to realize that that wasn't true. So, I, I started reaching out to a lot of people and talking to people who had information and knowledge about these things. But there weren't a lot of people around at the time that really worked with eating disorders, so, it was really groping in the dark, you know. I and bet.
0: I'd never even heard of an eating disorder until a few years ago. Exactly. It sort of became mainstream. Exactly.
1: And this was, this was now, we're talking about uh, early, mid-80s. Wow. So, it was a long time ago. And uh, I then met this guy that... Oh I sorry, I did meet a guy. I met a makeup artist at a show and I started talking to her about it. And she said, I know this man that might be able to help you. And he was um, an NLP practitioner.
0: Ah. There and go. it
1: was all about changing mindset, changing beliefs, and things like that. So I went to see him. And I didn't see him for very long. I mean, certainly not, you know, the sort of psychotherapy or the talking therapies that we're used to now. Years. This was this was maybe five, six sessions. He was also a hypnotherapist, and um, he did some deep hypnosis with me and we shifted a few things around and I just want to say a little sidebar here you always have control over yourself through within hypnosis it 's some people think that you 're out of control and somebody else controls your mind it doesn 't work like that all they 're doing is guiding you to a to hopefully a better place for what you need so I did that, and I started to come out of it and then I had this sort of aha moment of this is what I've been looking for all my life because I've always been fascinated by human behavior. And I'm I'm a fixer. I love fixing things like things that are broken. Not not just people, but because I don't believe people are broken. I think I believe people get stuck, and that that's my belief. But if something's broken, it really bothers me. I want to fix it, or, or I want to find somebody that can help me fix it.
0: Does it bother you if someone's doing something inefficiently? oh gosh,
1: (laughs) this is my struggle. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I I have that so bad. Like, how about- I want to get into it, I guess you're new to driving, but do you have any aversion to to, um, backtracking? Like if you drive in one direction, say you head west and you do a couple errands and then you have to go back east and then head west a second time, would that drive you crazy? Yeah, it would. Because it's not efficient. Like it's not the logical way to like- Proceed
1: absolutely, and the other thing that drives me crazy with driving is I would rather go around the houses, as they say, than sit in traffic because I want to keep moving, of course. I want to keep moving forward. What sign are you, Taurus? Oh, I know one of those. Oh, I don't like the way you went. I'm just kidding, I'm totally (laughs) kidding. No, I've
0: I've I I know we
1: can be quite formidable. (laughs) No, she's amazing. Are you,
0: are you at all? I'm because I, I don't, I'm not a I won't say I'm not a believer in astrology. I just don't know that much about it. I'm yeah. sure it has an influence. Did too. Are you at all defiant and stubborn?
1: I, I love that. It's such People always use that. Do uh, they? For Taurians. Okay. know. Oh, you're very, like a bull. I don't even know, that, know? that that's a
0: Taurus thing. You no, know, it just, is. I'm, they say
1: it is. Um, I, I probably was, but I've worked on that one, right. and I'm very flexible. I'm actually right. a very flexible person. And the only person I'm hard on in this world is myself. I really do. I have very high expectations of myself, and I give people leeway and all that, but I'm probably hardest on myself. So if people think I'm being hard on them, they've not seen anything (laughs) compared to what I do to myself. I relate to that. And I know
0: you do, which is why, because you've mentioned it previously. Um, So so what happened with the NLP? I think that's where we were going. So yeah,
1: so I I reached out to this man, and I said, I really like what you're doing. What is it? He said, it's neurolinguistic programming. There's a course in two weeks. I know the trainer. I'll get you 20% off. And that was really exciting, you know, because it's, it's quite expensive, it was several thousand pounds, which would be about $3,000. And uh, I signed up and that was it. That was the beginning of my journey. So I became a practitioner. That's the first thing you do. And I started working with my friends. They were my clients and didn't charge people and was sort of teething, using them as guinea pigs. And I then wanted to use it on my family. Big mistake. Don't ever work with your family. There's too much history. There's too many anchors and things like that. Unless they want you to, of course. Uh, and then I did my master practitioner the following year. And then the fall, follow- and that's when I really started practicing. And uh, for those that know London, I my practice was on Harley Street. And this is a funny little aside Harley Street is jokingly called the street of shame because you either go there to have your head shrunk or your face shrunk because it's full of therapists or uh, plastic surgeons. But it's it's a great place to practice. And uh, so I felt, you know, I was in the right place. And then the following year, I did trainer's training, which means you become a trainer of NLP. And that's where I met Tony Wrighton. And we did our trainer's training together.
0: So you went, like, and you were being trained by the badasses in NLP, too.
1: I was trained by the co-creator, Dr. Richard Bandler, for wow. all of my training. Wow. God, and he's not everybody's cup of tea. Okay, but he was certainly my cup of tea, because he... Is he kind of a tough love approach, uh, or...? The the F word is like every other word, you know, which can really offend somebody, but he does it, it's quite provocative, because he says it's only a word.
0: That's interesting, that's interesting, because NLP, linguistic programming, Uh right, is all about words. I, I found it very surprising, and sort of a relief to watch the Tony Robbins documentary... I think it was on HBO. I don't know I'm if not you saw it. I'm not your guru. That. I've watched yeah, it. Yeah. I, I want to watch it again. He's like, so what's your fucking problem? Yeah. You know, I was like, whoa, dude, I thought you were this positive, yeah. like, personal development guy, He's like, saying fuck every five minutes, and it was sort of disarming in it's a way. It's very disarming. But well, I, I've struggled a lot with language, especially doing the podcast, because some people get offended, and... Mm-hmm. I don't want to be someone that hurts people's feelings or makes them feel uncomfortable by using certain language. To me, I just I grew up being allowed to swear. There was three words I couldn't say as a child. One of them was the c word, and two of them were racial slurs. And other than that, it was open season. You know, Uh, my mom was really beautiful in that way. She gave me the freedom, but there there were limits. (laughs) You know, when it came to racism or sexism, which are great because those values stuck with me. but yeah, when I heard him speaking like that, I was like, "But he's got to know what he's doing." And then when I when I dug into it a bit more, he really seems to do it to just kind of like oh, shock someone, very provocative, to crack their mind Absolutely. open and get into their fucking subconscious. It's just a know? word he says. Right. Well, Tony
1: and I were trained by the same person.
0: Oh, okay.
1: He was trained by Dr. Badly. I as didn't well. even
0: know Tony was an NLP guy. Oh yeah, that's. Oh okay.
1: That's the foundation of what he does. Okay. Okay. Definitely. And he's given it his own spin. Right. But yes, very much that provocative language you know, so to get people to this like. This Richard Bandler open up.
0: character that trained you would turn some people off if, if they were accustomed to if that. If you kind of
1: want approach. this sort of really traditional way of learning with the book and uh, you know, intellectualizing things, he's not your guy. But if you want to really be pushed out of your comfort zone and get the shift and know how to get the shift for other people, and I'm not saying one is right and one is wrong, they're just different. And some people align to the first one more than they align to the second one. I happen to like the second way. And I, this is my belief. If you, if you wanted to study uh, Freudian psychotherapy and Freud was still alive, I'd go to Freud to be trained.
0: Uh, yeah. To me it was a you no brainer. The chronic. You want the if best of the best. Doctor
1: Banler and John Grinder, who they're both still alive. They don't they don't train together anymore, they train separately. They're still alive. I go to their trainings. I want to hear it from the masters that created this stuff. Because what happens along the way, as in anything, it gets diluted by other people and they put their own spin on it. So when they train you, they're training you from their perspectives. And Dr. Banler said a really I love this. He, somebody raised their hand once in a training and said, what books should I get? Which of your books should I get? Because I've, I've started buying your original books, like Frogs into Princess, which are like from the 70s. And he said, nah, don't buy those. Buy my newest ones. I've got better. I've got a lot better. I've streamlined things. I understand things better. And buy my new books and then work your way backwards. And I thought that was a great answer because we some people are purists and they're like, well, I've got to buy the first book and then follow the whole... No, because we do get better. We, we learn a lot as we go along and we find better, easier, more efficacious ways of getting people to shift, which is what oh, it's all about. I love that
0: word, efficacious. Oh, that's gorgeous. It is a good word, isn't <laughs> it? Is, it? Yeah.
1: Nice to say as well.
0: <laughs> so, further into the NLP thing, when I first heard of neuro linguistic programming, it I think was actually from Neil Strauss's book, The Game, where yeah. he went underground into the secret society of pickup artists and seducers and all this stuff, right? and in that book nlp at times not always but seemed to be used for i don't want to say evil like mm-hmm. use your powers for good or evil but for lack mm. of a better term just to you know overemphasize it guys would use it to trick girls into Banging them, mm-hmm. basically. Absolutely. So you go into a bar and you can like trigger certain words and feelings in that woman, and next thing you know, she's like, "Okay, I think we need to have sex." You know, it's yep. like this magic superpower. Take me to could, your bedroom. Yeah, yes. that could get you laid. You know, <laughs> and it was it was actually very interesting from that perspective. Yeah. Like I remember there was something to the effect of and I'm totally paraphrasing this, you'd have to read the book The Game, which is a fantastic book. And, I
1: read it years ago when it came out. And
0: also, it is the book is not a proponent of becoming someone who seduces and abuses women. It's just a look at a subculture of people. And some of those people, I have to say in defense, like use those things to learn how to be a good guy and meet yeah. a girl and have a family, not just to like manipulate women into sex. But one manipulate women into sex tactic that I remember from that book was like, And this is my layman's version of NLP was like, say I'm sitting here chatting you up and you're a hot girl, right? And, you know, I want to get a date with you or whatever, or specifically, let me not water it down. I want to bang you. Okay. I want to have sex with you. Yeah. So you would like tell a story about, yeah, I've been working on this project and, you know, I've really just been pumping a lot of energy into Mm it. (laughs) So you use the word pumping (laughs) and maybe like you, you know, you even like pump your fist like in that motion. Yeah. And say pump while you're doing that, and then you'd say, "Yeah," and it's, I'm getting closer and closer, and you know the excitement is just getting higher and higher mm-hmm. as I come closer to finishing the project. And I can tell, like the book's about to come out. There's going to be this huge eruption of excitement in the industry. Like you're like embedding all these sort of anchor words, that embedding have...
1: commands. That's what they're called. Okay, embedding commands. Embedded
0: commands. Okay, you're
1: telling her. What you're going to do, right?
0: Okay. So I you know, I don't like as I said, I'm totally paraphrasing that scenario. No, but this is a
1: beautiful example. It was
0: that basic kind of thing, and then it, it was said that it could be applied to sales. You know, you're the used car salesman and you you're using those embedded commands. Um mm-hmm. when someone's kicking the tires of this piece of shit car you're trying to sell them, and um then there's this thing called the yes ladder where Yeah, or the
1: yes set questions, yeah.
0: Three yeah, questions so like, that all have hey, yes Hey, do you like to drive cars? Yeah. The guy that's looking at the car is like, yeah. Do you like Maseratis? Yeah. Do you like vacation? Yes, yes, yes. All these yes ladder questions until you're like, so you ready to sign? Yeah. Where do I sign? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So it's one of those things where like that's sort of the negative connotation that I have in NLP in my mind. But talk to me about how it's used in both ways and could be potentially used for selfish gains. Let's just say that just out of selfishness. And then obviously what you do with it is you use it to actually help people and enrich someone's life. So give me some like good nuggets of what NLP is all about.
1: Well, I'm going to go back to your little story, which is great because okay. it gives me a good nugget there. Okay, That is a metaphor. Okay. So he's telling her a story that is about somebody else, right? And... What, as humans, our brain loves metaphors. We love stories
0: about other people. Read the Bible, yeah. Yeah,
1: because what happens is...
0: Not like I've read it, but I... If,
1: no, not my, me <laughs> A either. couple
0: pages, and it seems to be very metaphorical. It's very different?
1: metaphorical, but if yeah. he said to her, I'm going to take you home and bang you, and I'm going to do this, it's too much, right? Right. It's too much in her face. So what he does is it's like third person. It's about somebody else. So you lead this person on this journey to the outcome, and whilst you're doing it, you're using a lot of persuasion. Because I like the word persuasion. I think that's really what we're talking about here, not manipulation. You're persuading the person to focus on certain things. Like, I'm getting, cl- I'm getting harder, it's getting bigger. But you're not saying I. You're right. saying, and they got harder, and they got bigger. Right. And you're planting these words in their mind, embedding commands. So they're, you're getting them to focus. Because as we know, where focus goes Energy flows so the the woman is sitting there going, harder, bigger, stronger, wow, you
0: know. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I'm in. And totally unconscious that yes. that's even at play, and he's right? not talking
1: about himself. He's talking about maybe a, a challenge that he had or a race that he ran or something like that. So it's completely disconnected, she thinks, to what what is really going on. So the nuggets, the way I use it is... Well, first of all, the basis of NLP, I just think this is a, a, a good time to mention this, is it's all about modeling excellence. That is the derivation of NLP. And what Grinder and Bandler did is they modeled excellence in people. So NLP isn't a thing that they created. It is an explanation of what already exists, if you like. So there were two people that come to mind, Milton Erickson, According to them, at that time in life, he was the best hypnotist in the world. So they literally sat at his feet and they documented watching him in session with his clients. And and for those of you who know and those of you who don't know, Milton Erickson wasn't like this kind of hypnotist, look into my eyes. I mean, he was a conversational hypnotist. So he would talk to you in metaphorical stories, embedding commands, And you would leave the room, not you, but the person would leave the room and go, I feel really different and I have a different understanding of things. What happened in there? And there wasn't anything specific. He just told a story. But the story was really about you and how you needed to change things. So what they did is they modeled the excellence of him in particular and Virginia Satir, who at the time was the best family therapist, according to them, and many, many other people in the field, not just the two of them. So they modeled her as well. And we'll just use those two examples. And then what they did is they unpacked the strategies that they used. And they created a template, if you like. It's uh, not the greatest word to use for it, but, you know, sort of steps that you could use to achieve the same outcome. And then they taught it to people. Uh, so there'll be something, there's something called like a six-step reframe, and that's actually the name of it, and it's a technique that you do with the client to get them to shift their beliefs and move to a, a different uh, outcome of they might be stuck in a place that they don't want to be stuck in, a belief that they're stuck in, and this six-step reframe will help them to reframe that particular belief to get a different outcome, a better outcome for them. Does that make sense? Yeah,
0: Totally. Yeah, I'm I'm tracking 100%. All these things are coming up. I'm like, yeah, you can kind (laughs) of relate to this. Yeah, yeah.
1: So, the other part of NLP that I am really excited about, I'm excited about all of it, I love it all, is how it enriches your communication. So, you know, I'm sure you've heard some of this. If you use the word but in a sentence, I really like that shirt on you, but not that color. So it kind of cancels out it the negates first, the whole thing, it negates yeah. the first half yeah, yeah. of the of the sentence, and you can use that to your advantage, right? With somebody, you can use that to get them to focus on the second half of your sentence, not the way I used it just there. But you know, you can imagine ways that you can use that. Another word is. Don't. So for example, don't think of a pink elephant. Please don't think of a pink elephant. So what you have to do, the brain doesn't process negation on the first round of that statement. So it has to think of a pink elephant in order to stop thinking of the pink elephant. So again, this is, this is a pattern that you might use within a hypnotic session to get people to focus on things that you want them to focus on, but saying don't focus on it. And I, I hope that makes sense as well. Yeah, so, totally. So don't go too deeply into a, a relaxation state at the moment. So they have to think about going to this really deep relaxation state first, and that's that's how you start using these techniques.
0: That's to... that's interesting because it's like in setting intention to manifest something, you have to put your attention on it. You know, it's like what you put your attention on tends to somehow show up in the physical material world, right? And so I I think it was from David Hawkins that I first heard this and I've seen it in my own life. So if I'm driving my car and I'm constantly thinking to myself, okay, don't crash, don't crash, don't run into anyone, don't get in an accident, Luke, don't get in an accident, what am I thinking about? I'm thinking about getting in an accident or not having my rent money. Oh, what if I don't have my rent money? What if I don't have the rent money and I have this meme or this repetitive thought going, chances are, I'm not going to have my rent money. And I'm going to bump the car next to me. Because like you said- Where focus goes, energy goes, right? Exactly. So the brain doesn't know that there's a don't or a not in front of that. It's just focusing on that one thing. So trippy. I, I
1: kind of, I really wish I knew this when I was a parent of young children, because this is a great little tip. If you want your child not to do something, don't say, don't do it. Okay, uh, so for example, let's say your child is walking on a wall, and it's it's a you know could be a dangerous wall uh, that they could fall. So you might say, Johnny, don't walk on that wall because you'll fall. Johnny focuses on falling, and that's now his focus. Of course, so he's more likely to fall oh, than God. to not this fall. Is,
0: that's so good for parenting.
1: It is. So what? So people say to me, so what do I say instead? So you might say, Johnny, remember to be careful walking on that wall. So now Johnny's focusing on being careful, right? right? Right. Remember Johnny, focus on, you know, putting one foot in front of the other and keeping your balance or however you want to flesh it out. Yeah. So tell Johnny what you want him to focus on, not what you don't want him to
0: focus on. That's awesome.
1: Because Johnny's uh, that's such
0: a great yeah, tool. Yeah, he's gonna negate yeah.
1: that the first time around. I mean, think
0: about that in a negotiation in business or uh-huh. in a conflict in a, a relationship. Yes. Like if you could really ad- you know, make an effort to adhere to that principle. how how different the results would be, right? So you walk in a meeting, there's some tension, some conflict, and rather than addressing the conflict in a don't or shouldn't or can't or won't, it's like, let's just focus totally on the solution and almost to a degree even ignore what the problem is. Just start talking about ideas to fix whatever's wrong instead exactly. of focusing on what's wrong.
1: Exactly, and, and that's what I do. I'm a solution-based person. I don't look for the problems, I look for the solutions, so I don't analyze things. NLP has nothing to do with analyzing. You, you sit with the person who's in front of you, and you deal with what's there. It's not about going back and hearing about their childhood. and all. You don't need that, because the past is over. And thank God for some of these people it is over, because it was yeah. awful. Oh, shit. All you've got is that second right here. Oh, and that's gone. And you've got the future if you're lucky. So it's all about focusing on what we can control in this moment. And another word that comes up is try. I love this one. Oh, God. It's such a bad word. This is like such trying, trying a bad to word. quit
0: smoking, quitting yeah. Say, hey, man, do you want to go to this thing? I'll try. I'm getting better at catching myself, but that is such a tough one to It is, because it's
1: so embedded in our language. And, you know, let's say I owe you $5,000. So, Um, Luke I owe you $5,000 I'm going to try to give it to you by Friday So stepping out of that What do you think? Is that a 100% guarantee That you're going to get it by Friday?
0: No I would guarantee That you're not going to give it to me Because you just said try (laughs) It's at least 50%
1: reduced So working with a person That says Yeah I'll I'll try To get to work on time tomorrow Well they're probably not going to do it
0: So what would one say As a replacement Or substitute word I so, intend to, or
1: you know that five thousand dollars that I owe you. I'm going to give it to you on Friday. It's that simple.
0: But then you're locked into a commitment. That's right. Shit, I hate commitments.
1: Well, then don't say it. If you don't mean it, don't say it. Okay. It goes back to what is it? I'm trying to think of the character in the film who said, "Do not try, do or die." Was it Yoda? I, don't uh, know. I think. It sounds yeah. Sounds Yoda Yeah. Yeah. Do not try, do or die, and. That is what it's all about. Even Nike says, just do it. it he, they don't say, just try to do it. They say, just do it, right? And this is the thing. What we do is we embed the possibility of failure in what we want to achieve by using the word try,
0: right? And so these word games, would these fall under the umbrella of NLP Absolutely. tools? Okay. This is pure NLP. Okay, cool. cool. Right? I did, all it's the funny stuff I'm talking of, about is pure NLP. A lot NLP. of people talk about this these, like, these word play and stuff, but... They never referred to it as, oh, these are principles of NLP. But a lot of the stuff there I've There are heard many principles. Other... But
1: these are like the easy takeaways. Because okay. I think on a podcast, it's really lovely to give people easy takeaways. For sure. So that they don't go home and... So what I say to my clients, I literally say this. I said, I want you to choke on the word try the next time it comes up. And I train them to stop prohibiting themselves from being... Successful in whatever it is they want to be successful. Because if you say to yourself, Yeah, I'm, I'll try to do that. I'll try to show up on time or I'll try to get a better job or I'll try to love you more. You know, it's already you, Like hearing you
0: say it, like I, I'm already going, You're not going to do it.
1: You're exactly. not going to do
0: it. I, I've actually done that with friends too. I'm not necessarily when they say try, but it's like I'll ask someone to do something. Hey, can you come over on Friday and help me set up my shit for the podcast? And they're like, yeah, maybe that. Yeah, yeah. I'll, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. It's like if I sense that hesitation, I'll tell them like, don't tell me don't you're going to do it. Yeah. Like if you say you're going to do it, do it. Please say no. Like I would strongly prefer that you just say nope, not into it, not going to do it than you give me any kind of false hope. And it's it's sort of the same kind of thing.
1: So the reason why these are important to know or to practice is that the way I look at it is when a client comes to see me, they're stuck. And again,
0: Uh, When I came to see you, I I was stuck.
1: Yeah. And a badlerism I call them badlerisms was he said, if you're a twig and you're going down the river and you get stuck on the riverbank, do you need years of therapy or a bit of a push? Mm. You need a bit of a push. And that's what I do. I push. I push people into reframing their life and to looking at their life differently. And, you know, it's not about throwing... It's not about sort of... uh, What was that expression? come outside of the box and look at it. It's about throwing the box up in the air and really looking at it from very different, many perspectives. Because there are many choices we have. There's not just one. And this is, it's about giving people freedom of choice, freedom to move forward. So when a person comes to see me, I want to teach them techniques that are going to accelerate them to get to the destination they want to get to and remove any of the roadblocks that might be in their way, like trying.
0: You know, yeah. yeah, trying is definitely a roadblock. It is a roadblock. Yeah, it's like a tool for failure.
1: When you know that, it's now, it's impossible to unring that bell, isn't it? Because now you know, the next time you use try, you're going to hear my voice. It's
0: awesome. Try you know? and should. What are some of the other but, ones? Don't, but, don't. Right.
1: Um, you know, these are just really little basic ones. This is just sort of the tip of the iceberg with NLP. But a lot of the real work happens in session. With questions, because we, we rarely ask why questions because of that very word. Because when you ask somebody why, they will frequently come out with because. And on the other side of because is going to be an excuse. Right. And that's going to limit the change,
0: right? And it also gets them stuck in the paradigm of cause that's and it. effect. That's it. Which is like a really they weak, get stuck shallow yeah. paradigm.
1: So like my best question will always begin with a how.
0: So I how can you do why questions. How Actually, do you do that? Yeah, yeah, that's good. It's funny. You're Teach bringing up me how to do that. You're bringing up so many things to me that like I'm subtly aware of or I practice, but when someone asks me, why is this like this? Why is that like that? It's like it just fucking is. There is no why. that like yeah. why in most cases is not that valid.
1: Yeah and because that's what it means to me, right?
0: Yeah, because it's subjective. And there's so many variables in the universe at any given moment that the why changes as fast as you can fucking blink. It's like, why is that the water there is different now than it would be in five minutes from now? It's just, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there are no answers to the question why in so many cases. Man, I hate to do this to you, but I got to do. We got to break this episode into two parts. It's really hard to stop these things right in the middle, but based on the feedback that I get from listeners to the show, everyone absolutely agrees that they would rather have two episodes, one on Tuesday and one on Friday. When the episodes are over two hours, which many of mine happen to be these days. I'm lucky enough to live in Los Angeles, California, the home of one of the biggest awakenings on the planet at the moment. As much weird, vapid celebrity stuff as we have, we have a lot of very conscious people that live here or visit here regularly. And when I get to sit down in person and do these interviews, man, we just go into a flow state. Sometimes we get vibing. Next thing you know, two, two and a half, sometimes even three hours go by. So I'm sorry to cut you off there. I know it's cruel if you're getting into it, as I'm sure you were, but you're gonna have to tune in on Friday to catch part two, okay? Uh, To make sure that that happens, don't forget, if you subscribe to the show, they're automatically downloaded to your computer or device so you don't have to worry about checking back in. But more than anything, I wanna thank you so much for joining me on this journey you have no idea how much it means to me that I'm in your ears right now, that you're listening to me and giving me the ability to share these fantastic guests with you. It's like such an honor and such a privilege to be able to do what I do and and getting more and more listeners all the time. It's just really exciting, really fulfilling. I am quite literally living the dream and you are making that possible. So thank you. Don't forget that this Thursday, July 27th, I'm hosting an event at Cap Beauty in the West Village in New York City from 7 to 9 p.m. This is going to be an epic event where I go over my mind, body, and spirit solution presentation. It's the first time that I'm giving this particular talk. I'm really excited. I've been working on it for the past couple weeks. I'm actually out in New York now. Getting ready for it, working with my company School of Style, running around the city, meeting fantastic people. I'm getting really hyped up to give this talk, and it's free for you to come. It's also sponsored, of course, by my two favorites, Four Sigmatic and Organify. A little shout out to them. But what's most awesome about this event, yo, is that it's free R F E E for you. Come down, hang out, make sure you say hi. Here's the deal, though you do have to RSVP, you can't just roll up there might be full. You might not get in. The bouncers might send your ass walking. Here's the URL to RSVP. It's consciouscityguide.com forward slash Luke. That's consciouscityguide.com forward slash Luke. I'll see you this Thursday, July 27th in New York City at Cap Beauty at 238 West 10th Street, New York, New York. See you then.